Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello, and welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. Today, we're going to talk to Mary Lindell Harrison, who is the marketing director for Sweetwater Valley Farms in Philadelphia, Tennessee. They are a dairy operation that actually has their very own cheese store, and we're going to talk to Mary about the cheese-making process, the health of their dairy cows, and actually how they have successfully used agritourism to help increase consumer education, which is really cool. And we're also going to talk about how they actually have robotic milkers. So thanks for stopping by, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast, Mary Little Harrison. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Trevor? I'm doing great. Um, so you're for the Sweetwater Valley Farm in Philadelphia, Tennessee. So tell us a little bit about, about that operation. Sure. Um, so we are a second-generation farm dairy operation, and John and Celia Harrison, who are my parents, they purchased interest in the dairy farm back in 1987, um, and then a couple years later became the sole owners of the farm in 1992. Um, and they kind of decided they wanted to take a little bit different route. So we started producing cheese in 1998 using the milk from our cows. And then shortly after that, we opened our cheese store in 1999. Um, and throughout that early 2000s, both the herd of our dairy cows and the cheese operation kind of continued to grow as well, of our, as, well as our agritourism. Um, so last year in 2018, we became Tennessee's first Laley XL dairy farm milking about 500 of our cows with robotic technology. Um, and today we are a diversified farming operation that serves to home to over 1,500 dairy cows, uh, multiple beef cows, as well as a sor- source of crop production and the farmstead cheese operation as well. Oh, wow. Okay. So what, what kind of robotic milkers do you use? So we use Laley. Um, they're 
it's just the brand Laylee, L-E-L-Y, and we have eight of the robots there. That's super. Is that the one where it dispenses the feed and the cow walks in and gets it and then it starts milking it from there? Yes. Yes. That's it. Okay. Those are super cool. Um, yeah. They're awesome. So you've talked about agritourism. When did you guys start doing agritourism for your dairy and um, what kind of, how did you see it positively impact your business? Yeah, sure. Um, I would say we probably started doing like an official tour maybe eight or nine years ago. I'd say probably like 2010. Um, and it's been absolutely great. You know, we had a growing interest of people that would come out to the farm or come into the store and they're like, hey, we want to see the operation. We want to see your cows. We want to see the whole process. So I think being able to open up our farm to the public was really great. And it gives you know, it gives the public a chance to see everything that we're doing and understand how the process works, as well as understand where their food's coming from. So I think it kind of goes full circle and it really benefits um, us and the consumers as well. That's really cool. Now, I found you guys on Instagram. How have you guys been using social media to kind of broaden your reach for consumers? So we've been using social media a lot and actually run all of our social media. Um, so Facebook has been great. We use Facebook a lot to just kind of connect with all of our customers, um, whether that's, you know, posting when we have certain cheeses or posting our events or anything like that. And then Instagram has been really great because we actually have been able to connect with like a lot of restaurants and chefs um, and kind of food influencers and stuff on there. So that's been a great outlet for us. That's really cool. Okay. Now you mentioned before um, that you guys have been trying to sell your produce locally. How do you, how exactly do you go about, I imagine like going to farmer's markets and kind of networking, but how exactly did you guys go about selling your products locally? Yeah. So we did a little bit. We do um, some farmer's markets in the area. And then I think it was honestly just a lot of word of mouth and a lot of getting into the cheese uh, production at the right time because the local, you know, farm to ta table movement is so huge right now. A lot of restaurants and chefs want to work with a local um, producer and they want to know where their food comes from and they want something local. So that's kind of how we saw it um, start to take off. And then as we do more events and stuff now, we're able to connect with chefs and sell them our product. Okay, that's cool. Let's talk about cheese a little bit, which okay. is a great thing. I love cheese. I, I was looking oh, up, yeah. I was, I was trying to look up like cool cheese facts. And I think it said something like the world produces more cheese than it does chocolate, I think. Oh, and I was like, goodness. dang, we produce a lot of cheese then. So tell us how yeah, exactly is, yeah. So tell us how exactly is cheese made from dairy milk? Okay. So we pretty much do mostly cheddars and all different cheddar flavors. And then we also do a Gouda. So it's all pretty much the same process and it's all a pretty simple process, just a lot of hard work. Um, so the secret and the secret behind good cheese is just having consistent high quality milk. Um, so the whole process starts, we're going to start with 30,000 gallons of milk, which is going to produce about 2,600 pounds of cheese. Um, and I guess to begin making cheese, we're going to take our milk, we're going to pasteurize it. So that's just a really quick process. We're going to heat it up to about 162 degrees for about 15 seconds. Um, then we're going to cool it down just a little bit. We're going to have it in a huge vat 
and we're going to start adding some cultures, which are just going to kind of consume the lactose and produce acid. So we'll monitor that process by measuring the acid production in the milk. And then we're going to add an enzyme called rennet to the vat of milk. And that's going to cause it to coagulate or kind of toughen up. So that's when you're going to see those um, curd particles form. Have you ever heard of curds before? Yeah, yeah. Fried cheese curds are delicious. Yes, yes. So people love fried cheese curds. So once you start getting cheese curds, um, you've got curds and whey. So curds are the solid, whey is the liquid. Um, So as that process kind of keeps going, we're going to take the temperature up to about 100 degrees. And that's just going to toughen that curd up even more. Um, And when it's tough enough to withstand being pumped, we're going to pump it over to the next table, which is our drain table. And that's when we're going to remove any of the liquid. So the whey will be removed. Um, And then at that point, we're going to, after all that whey has been drained, we'll add salt and then we'll add spices for um, the different flavors of cheddars we're making. And then at that point, the curds, we're going to scoop all those out into these big molds and they're going to be pressed airtight overnight. And those solid blocks will be removed from the presses the next morning and they'll be bagged and sealed and placed in like a cold room where they'll stay and they'll age. So those are big 40 pound blocks um, and they'll just sit back in a cold room for at least three to six months before they ever come out to be cut to sell. Now, you said you you guys make cheddar cheese. How how do you make different cheeses like Swiss or Brie? How exactly does that work? So those are all different processes. And to be honest, I don't know a lot of the other processes because I've only been around um, the kinds we make. Um, But I know like as far as the different ones we make, it just depends on um, a couple minor changes to kind of change the taste. So like the different cultures we use, the different seasoning, like we might have a jalapeno that has jalapeno peppers or a smoked cheese or a pimento um, and then the cook time and then the age. So based on the different age time um, that's going to make a cheese sharper so that kind of changes the flavor of our cheese a little bit as well okay that's pretty cool now what about mold on cheese that's something I, I still can't wrap my mind around I know it's fine to eat but sometimes you get like a really stinky cheese and I'm like I don't really want to eat that so how exactly yes. does mold on cheese how does that whole thing work so mold on cheese is literally just when cheese gets air on it so like say you cut into the packaging and it sits in your fridge for a couple weeks it's going to grow mold on it um, once it's exposed to air so we usually just tell our customers you know if you've opened your cheese keep it in the fridge keep it as airtight as you can but if it ever gets mold on it it's perfectly fine just cut it off and keep eating the cheese so mold really doesn't affect it it's just once the cheese is exposed to that air it's going to start to grow mold Okay, gotcha. Well, that little tip is probably going to save me like $100 a year on cheese alone. So thank you for that. Yeah, of course. Do you have any, before we like talk about uh, the cows that you guys have, do you have any like cool cheese facts? Um. Okay, so one thing that I always tell people that come into the store, a lot of people don't know this. It may seem like really simple, but a lot of people ask us this. I always ask, you know, okay, guys, so what color is cheese? And a lot of people will say yellow because people associate cheese with being yellow. Um, so actually cheese starts out white since milk is white. So we add, if we're making a yellow cheese, we're going to add a natural plant coloring called a netto. And that's just going to change the milk from white to yellow. So really the only difference in a white and yellow cheese is that natural coloring. Um, so anytime you see a yellow cheese, it's just, um, during the process, it's been changed without a netto to yellow. Yeah. I I was looking up facts again and I saw something that 
I think there's like five or six cheeses that are made in France that are illegal here in the U.S. just because they have, I think, the mold on them or just the way they're processed is kind of illegal here. And so, I mean, they're perfectly yeah. fine to eat. Just the U.S. is like, no, we would rather avoid those cheeses. Let's talk about you guys as cows. Something that we're trying to talk about a lot here on our website and our podcast is just kind of consumer misconceptions. And you're probably aware of this. People think that farmers just don't care about their animals. But, oh, I mean, yeah. yeah, you and I both know that um, a healthy animal is going to produce, but an animal that we don't take care of is not going to produce well at all. So how exactly Correct. do you guys take care for your cows? So cow care is very, very important. That's our number one thing. Um, you know, our, the cows are our livelihood, so we want to make sure that we take good care of them. So I think cow comfort on our farm is number one. Um, so we actually, and it's good, that's why we like to open our farm to the public too, to kind of change their perspective of, you know, the negative connotations of dairy farms. So we house, actually all of our milking cows are going to be housed in barns called freestyle barns. So basically they can walk around, they move around freely. They have um, access to feed that we grow on our farm. They have access to that all day. Um, they have sand. So believe it or not, cows love sand. It's cool. It molds to the shape of their body. So they have sand in their beds so they can lay down in that. Um, and we have a tunnel system in that barn. So it's going to pull a breeze through there and keep it um, at a certain temperature year round. So cows love like cooler weather. So we try to keep it nice and cool for them, even in the hot months here. Um, so they're very pampered. <laughs> I can imagine. That's so cool. Uh, now, what about the quality of your milk? A lot of people don't know that the milk you get from cows, it's then stored in a huge tank. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. And, and so that tank, before it's taken to get processed into milk or into cheese, it's tested for quality. And if the whole tank does not pass a certain threshold, it's all dumped. Is that correct? Right. Yes, that's correct. And yeah, that's very important. You know, we want to make sure if there's any issue, like everything's tested, everything's pasteurized before we use it for cheese, before, you know, once it goes to the plant, everything's pasteurized. So we just want to make sure that our milk is the highest quality um, possible. That's great. Now, what are some, what are some issues and some really cool successes you guys have had since you've been in business? My parents would probably be able to tell you more of that because they've kind of been with the whole process. Um, I grew up in the operation and just recently came back full time. Um, so they could probably tell you some, you know, it was a hard work starting out. And I think not knowing if the cheese was going to be successful, if the dairy was going to be successful. Um, when we've had bad years, I think my dad would say, you know, we've had bad years where milk prices were bad, if we were going to make it through that. Um, and then it's pretty cool that we were able to have, um, you know, a value added products that we created to kind of help during those bad times. So we were able to take some of that milk and turn it into cheese um, and sell that. So I think that's been a very big success for us um, on the farm. And then just with the way the farm to table movement has been um, just being supported by all these local chefs and restaurants and wineries and everything like that has been what I would call a huge success. That's really cool. Now, you're talking about a lot of dairies uh, shutting down. How, how exactly is the Tennessee dairy industry going? Um, it's been a very big struggle. I think last year was probably one of the toughest years we had. Um, we lose dairy farms right and left, and we lost a lot of dairy farms last year. Um, just There's just so much milk um, that the plants just don't have. They can't take that much, so then they end up cutting that, that dairy farm. 
Um, so it was a struggle for sure. We sell our milk to Dean Foods, which is um, most people around here know it as Mayfields. Um, and yeah, it was a struggle. A lot of the farms in our area were cut last year. So that number of dairy farms gets smaller and smaller every year. Yeah, um, I follow a couple of dairy Facebook groups and they'll post all these side stories about uh, a fifth or sixth generation dairy farm shutting down because, I mean, milk prices just keep plummeting and there's no profit. So a lot right. of people don't realize how bad the dairy industry is right now. Yeah, uh, it's sad. Now, it's scary, you know. I mean, when that's your livelihood, you think, I mean, what what do we do if, you know, we can't sell our milk anymore? So that's a very scary thought and it's very real right now. So Yeah, exactly. Now, going off of that, uh, what are your thoughts on this is totally random, but what are your thoughts on like almond milk, soy milk, on just random different milk products that are taking the milk name, but they're oh, not God. technically milk? If you had my dad on here right now, he would, <laughs> he would give you an earful. But yeah, we, we just think it's a little bit misleading just because, you know, almond milk, all those things, they're taking the title of milk, whereas they're not really milk. Um, and a lot of people associate those with being way healthier and think that they should switch with to those instead of actual milk. But I think they don't realize, you know, the amount of protein and nutrients you're getting from milk um, versus like an almond milk. I think it's just interesting to see. It's interesting to watch people, too, if you go to the store or like some of my friends or hear people talk about, you know, how they're obsessed with almond milk and everything. It's just very interesting. Yeah, exactly. Their first thought is, oh, it's just made from almonds and there's nothing else in there. And then you right. and I both know, we're like, nope, there's nope. a lot more in there than you would think. And they're like, are you sure? Yeah, I mean, it's really not healthier at all. I mean, the protein, everything, it's not, you're not getting the same nutrients that you would get um, from real milk. So I think it's very misleading. Well, Mary, this has been super fascinating. Uh, if people want to learn more about Sweetwater Valley Farms, where can they go? So they can visit our website. It's just www.sweetwatervalley.com. And they can also check out, we have a Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and it's just at Cheese Cows Wows. This has been a great conversation. Thanks for being on the podcast, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Hey everyone, we're trying to make things easier for you to listen to the podcast. We are now a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, and that means you can now find us on an additional platform. We're now available on the Waypoint app on your Apple TV, Roku, or Amazon Fire Stick, smart TVs like Samsung, and even game systems. While you're on there, check out over 2,500 of the best hunting and fishing shows and short films, download the app, and watch and listen anywhere.